0: Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation? But not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at slash breadbox
1: Welcome to Tools to Ready the Journey, a conversation to help prepare and support young men for fatherhood.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Tools to Ready the Journey, a father's guide to a faith-filled family. I'm Bill Snyder, and always joined by author Ray Haywood, and we are. Uh, in this episode going to be talking about chapter 10 conscious competence but I want to uh, before we get into the chapter discussion remind you uh, about the website trjfathersguide.com it's where you can find all of the resources that are necessary uh, for you to join us along this journey if you haven't already uh, purchased those resources and, joined the Facebook and Instagram groups and all of those things, uh, you need to do that uh, in order to uh, fully become part of this community of uh, young men, of old men, uh, of people who are uh, working and striving to hand on tools that are digestible, that are practical, and that will equip each and every person to Live the gospel more fully in their lives and become men of virtue. Uh, this is such an important endeavor that we are taking. Uh, we know that this podcast has been uh, touching hearts and souls and minds, and he is going to continue to touch hearts and souls and minds as we go forward. But you've got to be engaged, and you've got to be engaged on a weekly and regular basis. So head over to trjfathersguide.com, check out the many resources there and uh, become a part of our community we want you to interact we want you to become uh, members and uh, parts of what we are doing on a daily basis because that's the only way you live um, an intentional life is to be intentional each and every day each and every moment of your life so uh, with that being said Ray welcome and thank you so much uh, for joining me here for Uh, What I can't believe is Chapter 10 already.
1: Yes, thank you for this intentional time in fellowship today.
0: Absolutely. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. Let's talk about Chapter 10, Conscious Competence. I know there's a few things I'm sure you want to talk about before we get to the chapter discussion as well.
1: Yes, so Chapter 10, Conscious Competence. Um, What's shared in this chapter is the awareness of the composure needed from an intentional father toward introducing a new task or life skill to his children. It brings to the forefront how the tools of composure and compassion are very much requirements needing to be handled well in the process. It explains very simply how mastering the framework that this theory provides will undoubtedly promote healthy growth through stress-free exchanges, imagine, stress-free exchanges between parents and their children. In short, in my opinion, intent placed in forming well competencies in the use of this theory will lead to a peaceful existence for the family as a whole. So let's begin. In Chapter 10, Conscious Competence, we will explore how we can refine our intent through composure in understanding and implying well the theory of unconscious competence. The theory is named unconscious competence. Take notice to the name of the chapter, which is conscious competence. The third step in the theory, the most important step in my opinion, the step that involves intent. The theory is made up of four steps, unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence conscious competence and finally unconscious competence in the chapter the four steps are explored it explores that in the first step of unconscious incompetence we are not aware of the skill that is in, needed to be learned in the second step of conscious incompetence it explains that the skill has been introduced. We are now aware of it. In the third step of conscious competence, it explains that we have acquired the skill at a basic level but have not yet mastered it through intentionally working at it. And in the fourth step of unconscious competence, it explains that we have practiced the skill or task for a period of time and it has now become an unconscious confidence. In other words, we achieved confidence in this skill or task to the point where it has become second nature to us. Much detail is explored in this chapter. And if you have not yet read it, it is worthy of your time and attention. In this chapter, one of the points that is explored further is that the normal period of time for only one task To be introduced in an adult workplace takes approximately three weeks to successfully move through the steps in becoming unconsciously competent in mastering that skill. So now let's relate the theory towards introducing a new task or skill to our children and how we should view with realistic expectations on how long it will take for them to move successfully through What this theory suggests the whole point of this chapter is found in the awareness that it shares in the need for repetitive coaching from an intentional father in compassion and composure While teaching our children well in the time needed for them to grow through this process So uh, that was just a lot shared there Bill. What do you think?
0: You know, I think that this chapter is one that is highly relatable for myself. And, um, I think that it's a beautiful thing that you really dictate and, or I shouldn't say dictate, but you actually, uh, detail is the better word. Uh, you detail, uh, the, the steps, uh, in how to move through teaching your child a new skill. And, um, you know, in my story, uh, in, in my personal journey of, of life, um, I've had some challenges growing up, uh, with my physical abilities to do things because, um, when I was an infant, uh, I had a stroke. And so it was difficult for me to do ordinary things, ordinary tasks, um, and I I want to share with this group of people listening, um, perhaps one of those, just kind of give in detail how you move through those steps, uh, because, you know, from unconscious incompetence all the way through, right? I want to, I, I want to give that detail to our listeners, if you don't mind me telling the story, um. And, and I know I've told this story in other venues before, but I just think it's so powerful uh, because each of these steps is laid out in this story. So when I was, a, when I was uh, in like fourth or fifth grade, I remember uh, a uh, teacher, uh, I was playing a game and in, in my fourth grade classroom, I was playing a game where I had to run up to the board. I had to write my answer on the board and run back to my seat. It was like a relay race, right? Um, I was diagramming sentences and on the way to the board, I stepped on my shoelace and my shoelace became untied. My teacher, without even thinking about it, said, Billy, tie your shoe. What she didn't know was in fourth grade, I had no idea how to tie my shoes because um, I didn't know how to do it with my disability with my hand. Uh, So when you're talking about that, uh, I knew I didn't even know how to tie my shoes. I wasn't aware of the skill that needed to be learned at that time because my mom had always tied my shoes every single morning. And now here is Mrs. Colazzo telling me, Billy, tie your shoe. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, um, I can't not tie my shoe because I risk the trip, you know, falling and everything else. And also my classmates in my fourth grade classroom if I didn't tie them. If I raised my hand and said, Mrs. Coazzo, hey, uh, could you please tie my shoe for me? I was going to risk you know, being made fun of and, oh my gosh, you can't tie your shoe. So I was like, all right, I, I can't do that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to bend down and I'm going to try and tie my shoe myself. My little brother, who was younger, three years younger than me, uh, had learned how to tie his shoes uh, he had two functional working hands. so I tried to remember what my mom had taught my little brother. It was loop over under through. what am I gonna do, right? Um, again, I, that, that skill had been introduced to somebody else, but I had maybe heard a little bit about it. so I was like a trying to figure it out in this conscious incompetence, uh, completely unaware of how to do it. I made a huge knot on top of my shoe just looping things through and it did secure it but you know it wasn't perfect. I, I come home, my mom looks at the shoelace and she doesn't even bother to untie it. She just cuts it off uh, and says, we're going to go to the store. You need to learn how to tie your shoes. And this here is the really important part, the conscious competence, right? Uh, the conscious competence is learning how to apply the skill. And so my mom knew that I couldn't learn how to do it on my own um, because, or, 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 or she couldn't teach me. Because she had two functional working hands and she didn't understand how my hands worked in its, in its complexity with, with my uh, disability. So she brought in my therapist, my, my occupational therapist, who uh, had some tricks up his sleeve, who had learned the skills to teach somebody who was disabled how to do it. And what happened? He brought over this bag of tricks and he said, here are some options. Here are some options. Uh, first, I can teach you how to tie your shoe one-handed. And I thought that's really cool, you know. Um, I can learn how to tie my shoe one-handed. Um, and and for me, it didn't look the same. Like the bunny only had one ear, and I wasn't going to school with a Van Gogh bunny on my shoe. I was just maybe had a little bit too much pride at that time. But I said I can't do it. Um, so I said to him, "Teach me how to tie it two-handed and work with me." And he and he did. And he spent the rest of the lesson at, at the house teaching me how to tie my shoes. <laughs> okay. Uh, but here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. He didn't, he didn't uh, see me succeed once. He gave me the drive to do it. And I spent all afternoon after he left tying my shoes until dinnertime and I finally got it. I finally got it. And my dad, when he came home from work, I remember this so clearly. I ran up to him and said, Dad, I can tie my shoes. I can tie my shoes. And he watched me for like 45 minutes show him how to tie, tie my shoes because I wasn't consciously or unconsciously competent, yet it took me several more weeks to get to that point. But during that time of conscious competence, I had learned enough of the skill taught to me by my occupational therapist to be able to do it, to be able to do it. And, and that's the thing, when you are able to consciously and, and um, pay attention and have somebody show you and teach you, that is the value of, of having a guide, have, being a parent, having the ability to have somebody older than you um, teach you and show you and know that you are going to fail multiple times in doing it. So I I think that that story, Ray, just really highlights, and I know I probably talked way too long, but but I know that that story for me just really hits and drives this chapter home because I know that I've lived it. (laughs) Does that make some sense?
1: Yes, especially that you showed how you were moving through the process uh, in your description. So um, perfect. Uh, um, You also had Intent because you wanted to succeed because you felt as though as that child in fourth grade where everybody else this was very much in an, uh, an unconscious competence to them. You wanted to catch up so you even had more determination in it and um, Your parents reflection to you was beautiful um, you, uh, you You shared in a different way a childhood uh, of, of intent But uh, let's move on a little. I want to uh, let's step outside of the family for a moment. Let's look at how we can gain from this perspective shared in our work lives. Let's intentionally look at a manager's position for perspective. I have found that many managers fail because they believe that the people who work for them have full understanding of the tasks and responsibilities in their job titles. I find that the manager's position changes more often than their employees' positions in a workplace. Many managers listen to judgment on the employees they will be managing from the managers who are on their way out of the position. You know, it's just a, a very common thing in our work environments. Our managers cycle in and out. A lot of the workers stay within the position that they have for a longer period of time. It's just the facts. So um, what I would like to challenge uh, is all new managers in this position to go over the job descriptions of an employee that they were told performs unsatisfactorily. This can be a learning experience for both the employee and the new manager to grow from. But most importantly, the labeled unsatisfactory employee will see the investment made from the new manager and inherently want to improve. For many unhappy employees, this simple task of sharing knowledge and finding value and worth in their work is all that is needed towards turning them around from a bad cycle of unintentional managers. This approach will also alleviate tension and strain in the workplace and boost morale for all involved it'll boost morale overall i would like to suggest that if you are an employee that is struggling in your duties or being managed unintentionally to try to find the job description for the position that you are working in and familiarize yourself with it this may be valuable information on how you can better approach your work life. Finding strength in reflecting well in all that we do helps us to lead peaceful lives. Mirroring bad character is stressful for all involved. We need to intentionally reflect well in all we do. Powerful information, wouldn't you say,
0: Bill? Absolutely. Uh, You know, this uh, is great information for many people uh, for for them and for each of us as we are in different places in our lives and we encounter different uh, people and how we best help others through life. I mean, when we find ourselves, you know, Ray, I know you work with a lot of people. You manage a lot of people. Uh, and as a business you know, owner and, you know, a nonprofit, uh, company myself, it's, it's, di- it, you, you encounter different people and you encounter different ways and you, and you have to teach people skills. I think that that's very important to remember, uh, is that you have to teach people skills. You also have to know where your weaknesses are. Um, I think that's another piece of management. I think it's important to remember, uh, when you're looking at, uh, building competencies, knowing where your weaknesses are, and being able to talk to uh, an employee honestly, saying, you know, this is not my strong suit. This is not, I don't have this ability to the greatest, but I've brought you in because I recognize that's your strength. And building that person up and saying, I have these strengths that might not always uh, be your strengths. So I'm here to support your weaknesses, and you're here to support mine. Um, and in that relationship, this is what happens: the company, the mission, grows forward. It moves in a upward way, and it's how we have success. So, so building this, and you know where your point was that you made about. People who might be being managed unintentionally, where you said, go find the job description. I would even say, go find the job description and go back to your boss, go back to your manager and say, hey, listen, you know, this is what I was told when I was hired here. This is what you told me what you needed, right? And I want to be able to have a relationship with you that that builds up this company. You know, it's not about me, it's not about you. This is about the mission of growing and getting better and advancing this company and or advancing this mission of this nonprofit or advancing this whatever it might be. And I think you're so insightful when you, when you talk about how being intentional makes all the difference. It just makes all the difference. Um, we, we've said the word intentional probably 5,000 times during this, uh, podcast, episode one to episode 10 now. So I think being intentional makes all the difference.
1: Amen. Um, you know, the way you described it, we could also relate it to the sacrament of marriage, how we complement each other, our strengths and our weaknesses. Um, we should find these with the, um, the uh, awarenesses that are shared within this theory to be uh, very much adaptable to our lives, how we dance fluidly well through our lives. We'll get to that. But um, So this chapter begins with a quote from my grandmother, Blanche Finelli. I was blessed in many ways living across the street from my grandparents as a child. I learned many lessons from them both. But for me, many of the lessons I learned from my grandmother did not and were not meant to ring true until later on in my life, when I began to understand what she meant, when she would intentionally say to me, Raymond, you do not have to listen to me, but you are going to have to hear me. Very powerful words. My grandmother is long past now, but I have found wise counsel in her intentional approach. Gifts shared with me, in intent, at a time when I was very much unintentional. Let me stress the use of her tool of reach as the silent switch I refer to it as in the chapter. Each time I would hear her use this term, I would somehow store away the information she shared in intent within the intent she delivered it in for me to pack it away until later on in my life. And it worked. I have used her tool of reach while raising my own sons in hopes that they too would share in the same experience that I had. I now find myself to have been fortunate to have shared in her counsel of preparation. For when I eventually met up with the inevitable trials she prepared me for, I proved her right in being much better off in the awarenesses shared in her efforts. I now value in sharing her approach as a tool of reach in transcending realization for potential in a child not yet met but very much expected potential to be met while sharing in the fullness that will fortify them by approaching well life's challenges with foretold knowledge of what is to come. Beautiful, isn't that? I mean, just just such a beautiful thing that my grandmother instilled within me in her wisdom wouldn't you say bill
0: absolutely i think uh first of all i think a grandmother's or a grandparents um, impact on a child is absolutely massive um and i i i want to stress that to maybe some of the older gentlemen listening to this that have grandchildren uh i i, I um, think that the impact that a grandparent has on one's life is a phenomenal impact that can make the, the difference. I have so many happy memories of um, my grandfathers uh, who have now passed and both my grandmothers are still living and fortunately able to continue to make new memories with them. But uh, I just want to stress to you that uh, the time spent with your grandchildren uh, to teach them intentionally about virtue, to teach them intentionally about the uh, their life, and you know, giving them sayings um, that can they can carry with them through their life is so very important. Um, I I, uh, I I don't want to draw too much of a parallel to Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, Ray, but you realize that Everybody Loves Raymond is the TV show based on the grandparents living across the street. I want to just draw also on what she was saying to you about, you do not have to listen to me, but you have to hear me. And um, that is a very, very, very um, profound statement because I think often... That we go through life unintentional and uh, we are dumped with so much knowledge, especially in the world of Google, right? I can Google something and in less than a half a second, I can have a billion search results and have all this knowledge. But does that mean that I have heard you? Does that mean that I have actually cared about what was being presented? No, no. It just means that I've got a bunch of things on my phone. It just means that I've got resources. And you can either choose, as your grandmother mentioned to you, Ray, you can either choose to listen or not listen, but you need to hear me. You need to understand what this means. You need to understand this principle, this uh, truth in your life. You need to understand it. And if you choose to ignore it, that's your deal. But you need to listen to me enough to be heard so that I know that you've comprehended it in some way, that you can carry it with you later in life, even if you don't understand it right now, even if you don't have the ability or the care, a lot of us just are apathetic, uh, when, when we're, you know, dealing with other people, we just don't care. Um, and so I think what a profound statement that you, that she made sure that you heard her, uh, when she was telling you something important and whether you chose to live your life or rule your life by that was up to you. Um, so I think that that is an incredibly profound statement and one that, um, builds on the whole chapter we're talking about, where we talk about, um, Coming into the awareness and conscious competence to actually practice those things. So it's, it's absolutely relevant. I think it's absolutely beautiful.
1: Yes, amen. Especially in the manner in which my grandmother applied this, where she simply said, you know, you do not have to listen to me, but you're going to have to hear me. She packed it away for me for it to guide me later on in life. She 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 well prepared me. For many things. Uh, I had a very special relationship with my grandmother. So I would like to share an example of my own in applying well this theory. As I have shared many times before, I believe that truth is told to us over time and through trial. This is an example of how our children can place us on trial. And how when truth is measured out and fortified in proper doses over time, Like this theory shares, a different view is taken on of lessons learned and now seen in their full potential that only wisdom and time could have unfolded so beautifully, like the way that my grandmother prepared me. My son Frank has referred to me as the great guilter. Guilter is not even a word, but that's the way he labeled me. The great guilter many times throughout his childhood. Now, unprompted, as a young man of 21, he shares with me how he too will use this well handled tool while raising his own family, as he can now see the value in the lessons learned through its reach into his will and into his well formed heart. So uh, I would like to scratch a little at the feelings behind this childhood claim in consideration towards knowing well. The knowledge that I was in need of sharing in relation to the perspective of the measure in which we measure, meaning proper doses. I became steadfast in accepting that the lessons I was in need of sharing could not be fully grasped or understood through my experience while fathering my oldest son, Nicholas, which fortified me in my intentional approach. And leads me to sharing this perspective with young men and fathers now. This is powerful knowledge being shared here toward attaining peaceful family life. Frank is our second son. And there is six years between him and our oldest son, Nicholas. I had plenty of time to grow in perspective in those six years. Both of my sons are aware of what I am sharing here, of my feelings that Frank is better off in many ways by being Nicholas's younger brother and seeing our interaction over the years. Nicholas helped me to be a better father to Frank in countless ways. My example of being the great guilter worked for me in my exchange with my son Frank because of his tender heart that allowed me to use this tool to bring him in proper doses through the awarenesses of this theory into unconscious competencies within many lessons I've lovingly taught him. We are all individuals, unique, and have different needs in applying well the tools of this theory. There is no handbook that comes along with a child. Every child is different. Our parenting and guiding approaches needs to be met. Our children's individual needs, an important takeaway, our children do not and cannot know better than us. Obedience and discipline is formed in the exchange found within the theory of unconscious competence. If our children are not angry with us in their adolescent minds at times in their childhood, then we are probably not parenting right. We will know fully that we did our jobs well when our children come back to us later on in life and say, I get it, I understand, just as Frank did. With this awareness now shared, we should have a better understanding of how to identify when the necessary moments of parenting arise and are in most need. I look forward to watching my sons apply well these tools I've lovingly given to them while fathering their own families one day. As an adult I understand that as an adult I understand what it means in my life to accept things in proper doses especially in my faith walk and how this knowledge applies well within the composure and compassion needed of an intentional father in parenting well his family. Again, a lot said there, Bill. What do you think? You
0: know, I, I think uh, I'm unqualified, but I'm learning a ton uh, from you because uh, I am not yet a parent. Um, of course, uh, being recently married, um, you know, working on creating a family, of course, but uh, that is with God's help and, uh, and everything. But um, I, am, I am not, um, you know, able to understand your perspective, but it's something where, uh, I can learn a lot from and gain a lot of uh, wisdom. So I encourage a lot of men who might be in my situation, uh, which is, uh, you know, newly married or, uh, discerning married life and, and wanting to have children to really listen to that section, uh, because it's so important, uh, what you, what you mentioned Ray in there, um, and, and, and just rewind it a few times on the podcast and and, and go back and listen to it um, again and again uh, as, and you know, use the book too as as the resource to help form you because there's a lot of great tips in here on how to become um, you know, a loving, compassionate father that is able to uh, pass gifts on to to the kids. Uh, I'm the oldest of of, of three children uh, in my family. Uh, and, and my younger brothers and sisters, um, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, certainly, you know, got, got more of the, the, the parenting skill. My, you know, you know, my parents were kind of tossed into the fire with me and especially with all my disabilities and heart surgeries and everything, they were kind of tossed into the fire and had to, um, you know, kind of drink out of the fire hose, uh, to, to, uh, put things out. Um, uh, but. But I, but I think it's beautiful um, what you're sharing, Ray, and 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 how you naturally learn over time how to parent. I think that's another big thing you naturally learn over time, and you know you're gonna make some mistakes with the first kid, um, but 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 the second kid uh, you know certainly gets better off and, and, and because they learn from those mistakes. Um, but if you start with a good foundation, um, you know, reading this book and, and listening to this podcast, uh, you're you're gonna raise the perfect children, right, Ray?
1: Well, wisdom is something that we gain through time and trial.
0: Absolutely.
1: So what's being shared here is wisdom to prepare you well, as my grandmother did for me. Exactly. So uh, the world has very much changed since my wife Natalie and I were raising our sons in their formative years. Parents, and especially fathers today, need to be more intentional in forming well the will and heart of a child in contrast to the secular world mindset now accepted in our public square. What I'm sharing here is very much the awareness that as fathers, we are not meant to give into the worldly notion of tolerance in forsaking disciplining our children for the sake of their happiness at the moment. Let's think about that. This world teaches us uh, unwittingly for most unintentional people to forsake discipline for their children's happiness how many times have we seen this in a fast food restaurant or in a shopping plaza you know um, just um, our parenting skills are lacking we need to become fortified in the knowledge needing to be shared within the understanding that our children cannot see or possibly understand the competencies that we are in need of sharing with them by staying steadfast in our obligation to parent and not just merely befriend. These awarenesses need to be shared with the mother to ease her in the necessary approach that is required in successfully fathering and co-parenting our children today to bring them to their full potential in the god-sized view of family in proper doses through the measure in which we measure what i'm sharing here is very much the main point the focal point in the message of this chapter for both our children and ourselves we need to think bigger than ourselves in accepting the knowledge that our reflection is very powerful in telling to our children's formation and become mindful of this fact, no matter what is going on in our personal and professional lives, love should always be seen of us in our children's eyes. You know, when I've had many conversations as an adult with my mother, and she shares with me things that were going on in the background of our lives that my siblings and I had no view of. There was challenges in their lives, but we were sheltered from them. And we had a beautiful childhood because of their intent in in protecting us from not seeing things we weren't meant to see at that formative time in our life. Um, you know, uh, these, these are important competencies that parents should be aware of and also the awareness of the measure in which we measure, meaning sometimes with our children, we have to use necessary force. I am not speaking of force in a bodily sense. I'm speaking of force as showing authority and, and understanding that there will be a day when they come back and thank us for it. These are competencies that we need. To instill within our young people because the public square does not share what you and I are speaking of today,
0: Bill. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I want to draw on one of the uh, sentences you wrote in the book because I think it's so important. Uh, And it kind of touches on exactly what you're mentioning here. Um, It is easy for us to become frustrated when we try to lead without seeing immediate results. And uh, that's on page eighty-one in the book, in the very first page of this chapter, and it stuck out to me because uh, of exactly what you're talking about right now. And it's the um, it's the fact that in today's society, in today's culture, um, everybody is the, wanting to see immediate results. And when we and when we, as a little child, that's actually very infantile. Um, you know, it's a very infantile view. Um, I, and I know I get swept away and I'm just as guilty as the next millennial out there, but, but here's, here's the thing. When, when we get swept away by this culture and think we have to meet the needs, you know, maybe our children aren't getting it. They're not understanding it yet. Well, you know, and we're trying to lead them and we're trying to help them and they're not understanding it. They're not getting it. Well, and then what do we do? We just indulge them. Okay, as as you mentioned, you know, how many times do we see it in a shopping mall, right? How many times do we see it in a, uh, you know, uh, a fast food restaurant, right? As, as you said, this, here's here's the thing, you know, if you go and get them the Happy Meal and you give them the toy, you know, you haven't, you haven't taught them that important lesson, and it's really hard to keep that steadfast approach, as Ray's saying, you know, I've got to push forward, I've got to... Take the time to say no. You're not getting the happy meal today. That's the toy in the box you already got. We're not exchanging it. You know that is that is tough. That is not easy to do. Uh, I don't have kids yet, but I know it's not 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 hard. And what are we? Or I know it's not easy. And I and the difficulty that we approach that with the the difficulty w- and the steadfastness, as Ray's talking about pushing through the the culture that would just say, oh, I'm going to go up there and get the kid because I want him to stop screaming. Well, you know, that is, you know, acquiescing to a lower function of, of their base needs versus teaching them the lesson that, hey, this is actually better for you in the long run, right? And so, um, looking at looking at that can be difficult. It can be hard. It is difficult to lead. It, 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 it's the perfect sentence, right? It's difficult to lead and become frustrated without seeing the, me- the, the immediate results. We'd love if we told our kid, no, you're not getting that toy today, instead of screaming, going into the car and saying, okay, I get it. Maybe I'll get something later on Christmas. But, you know, hell, it's going to take time for that to happen. Um, so, so I think you've uh, got some great wisdom there, Ray, in, in sharing that with, with uh, our listeners.
1: So feel good. Yeah. We want we want our children to feel good, right? But when we're parenting correctly, they're not going to feel good all the time. And and very much mirroring their feeling as a parent, you're not going to feel good in times of parenting. These are necessary moments. Right. These, it's, it's, In the same concept of it's easier to build up a child than repair a man. You know, the the authority that the world is stepping away from is hurting the family core. There's so many things that we could touch on here, but we'll stay on point. Okay, so the chapter takeaway found in the book after the study guide poses a challenge to the reader that suggests that any bad habit can be broken within the same period of time that it would take to learn a good habit. Of course, this does not apply to dependencies like addictions, but it suggests that we can use this concept to improve ourselves. It shares an example of if you find yourself using God's name in vain, that by intentionally practicing not to do this for a period of time, which is approximately three weeks, to successfully work through this theory, you will eventually no longer use God's name in vain. You will have overcome the bad habit. This is just one example of how we can continue to introduce and master new life lessons within our adult lives as we become more confident at Using our willpower to conquer the hurdles we face in our daily lives. Wouldn't you say that, that's a good example, Bill.
0: Absolutely, it's a great example, and uh, and one that uh, we we can take time to practice. You know, uh, I we're we're you know these these are evergreen podcasts. These are meant to be listened to any time of of your life, or you know the, the liturgical season. So I don't want to get locked into to a certain liturgical season, but I'll tell you something. Um, you know, if you are able to, during a Lenten season that might be upcoming or whatever uh, for you, uh, target one of those bad habits and uh, give it up for that period of time, uh, it will stay gone. Those, those 40 days, those, those 27 days that Ray's talking about, um, you know, or 21 days that Ray's talking about, uh, are doubled in Lent. So it's a great way to even, you know, give it up uh, and give it up for good. You know, that's that's one of the things about um, our our faith is that, that that it supports the natural way of our of our life. Because God knows that we need the liturgical seasons to help us get rid of bad habits. So, um, so so when when you have an opportunity. Um, to reflect on your life in a deeper way, maybe it, you know, you know, it could be something sinful, as Ray mentioned, like you know, losing using the Lord's name in vain. Uh, that becomes a bad habit. You know, giving giving that up for for Lent or, or doing your best to give it up for Lent um, will help. You know, in 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 getting rid of of that. Um, so again, the the eternal, the liturgical uh, seasons um, do help us. Uh, the Church provides us with the tools. Um, you know, to to Give up uh, our bad habits at least once a year. Uh, of course you can do it anytime and you know and we encourage you to do it anytime, and so does God. But uh, you got one built in and you know, in the Catholic Church once a year, uh, you can focus on the the one nasty habit or the one bad thing that you're looking at. It's always easier to give that up uh, and replace it with something good. So I, I always like to tell people, uh, give up something for Lent uh, that, that that you don't want to come back into your life and replace it. Uh, with something good that you do want to do for the rest of your life, and those two things in ha- go hand in hand, as we've been talking about uh, in this chapter. Because man, you can uh, grow in virtue so much uh, when you when you are intentional about doing something like that. And uh, so, just want to uh, offer that opportunity to to you um, and and think about that. Uh, Ray, I I want to ask you a little bit about the uh, tool, which is the hammer uh, for for this. Uh, chapter. So let us know why you uh, dropped the hammer uh, on this chapter.
1: (laughs) So the chapter 10 tool is a hammer. I chose the hammer for chapter 10, conscious competence for the manner in which it is used to chip away at, drive in or shape things while we are working with them. There are many different types of hammers and even more applications for them in which to be used when we relate a hammer and its many uses to the theory of unconscious competence, we can find its many uses to be in its application of what my uncle Rocco called friendly persuasion. He shared this perspective with me as he taught me our family trade of plumbing. I now apply this use of friendly persuasion in the many ways we can apply well The approach we take while sharing a new skill or task with the children and people we love for the first time with consideration and composure given in proper measure to the time needed to actively work through them at mastering the task. Another one of my Uncle Rocco's sayings that is worthy of sharing is that we need to bless our tools And not curse them another great awareness to have while being in what I call work mode it's easy for me to fall in my humanity while I'm in what my family calls work mode lesson shared with me in love what do you think about that
0: you know I think uh, I think this entire discussion has been one that is uh, absolutely beautiful and uh, and and using the hammer uh, in in the proper, effective way, um, to to drive home points of of importance in one's life is necessary. Using the hammer to um, drive home the lessons um, that are going to stick with us throughout our life and going to hold together the the different facets of our life is absolutely fascinating, right? When, yes. when, when we, uh, drive the nail into the wood, we're holding together something. And so, um, those, those lessons hold together our, our morality, our, our life. Um, and as we continue to build our homes and our houses, uh, with children and with grandchildren, we are able to continue um, building uh, our 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 home on solid rock, right? Our our um, our family on you know Christ, which is the foundation. So, uh, I I think it's a beautiful tool uh, that you've highlighted for everyone, Ray. And uh, can't wait for. Uh, the next chapter as well.
1: So if you were to take a look at the uh, image of the hammer that's used for the chapter, um, one side of it is actually as a wedge. And the reason why I chose that example of hammer is because we need to chip away at what we're sharing. And we need to have that composure and compassion while using the tools that this theory shares and, and provides so well for us, you will definitely approach your, chifren, your children differently. You will understand. You will, You have a takeaway today. There is no denying the awareness that is now instilled within you that you can't expect your children to know something up, upon their first uh, made, made awareness. You know, and it applies to all aspects of our lives. But chapter 11 is juggling life. Now, this is a very, very special chapter to me. Um, it's, uh, it will share with us the awarenesses of how we can prioritize and handle well the different aspects of our lives within realistic expectations. Another great chapter for us to explore and gain perspective in. I'm looking very much forward to that chapter, and I hope you are as well, Bill.
0: I am. I am. and uh, I will uh, I will uh, be very excited to share uh, one of my favorite uh, Christmas gifts that I received, juggling balls with uh, and the story that ensues with our listeners in the next episode. So uh, stay tuned for for the next episode. Uh, and we thank you so much for for tuning in and and being a part of this uh, community of men. Uh, I want to remind you that you can head over to um, the website, trjfathersguide.com. Very simple, trjfathersguide.com for uh, all these episodes, all the information regarding the book, uh, TRJ Fathers Guide, uh, or Tools to Ready the Journey uh, by uh, Ray Haywood. And uh, also connect with the Facebook groups, the Instagram, the Twitter. All those things. Uh, Ray is very active on them all, um, and he loves to share with you um, more than just these podcasts and more than what he's just written in the book. So um, plug into these communities, become part of them, and uh, also let us know how we can support you. All those informations, all the information to contact. Ray is there as well on trjfathersguide.com. Ray, thanks so much again. It's a huge blessing. Can't believe uh, Chapter 10 is done. We're in double digits now. Uh, We're finished up uh, Chapter 10. So thank you so much.
1: Intentional time and fellowship today, Bill.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Well, until next time, from all of us here at Tools to Ready the Journey, I'm Bill Snyder for Ray Haywood. Be intentional.
1: You've been listening to Tools to Ready the Journey, presented by Breadbox Media. For more information about this ministry to young men, visit trjfathersguide.com or search for TRJ Father's Guide on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tools to Ready the Journey is a production of Patchwork Heart Ministry.
0: To learn more about how Patchwork Heart Ministry can support your ministry, visit patchworkheart.org. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by A few minutes each day can change your life during Lent. Ave Maria Press offers booklets for daily devotion, reflection, and more from such best-selling authors as Gary Zemak, Greg Kandra, Father Michael White, and Tom Corcoran, and so many more. Looking for Stations of the Cross booklets or books that are perfect for small groups? We have those too. Head over to AveMariaPress.com and use code LENT20 to get 20% off your order today. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic-themed coffees, available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash Media. Experience coffee like never before.